common sense reality check for both the left and the right. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. One of America's uh, top hawks is out of a job. So what does that mean to all of us? And then, uh, of course, when it comes to policy and politics, the big question is, what's next? I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us here on American Viewpoints. And uh, by the way, in just about 14 minutes, some conservatives say big tech, we're talking YouTube and Google, is violating their right to free speech. Can a private business violate somebody's First Amendment rights? We're going to talk about that just ahead. But just a few days ago, the big news in politics, John Bolton, he is out of a job. The president says, I asked for his resignation and I got it. Joining me right now is uh, senior writer Kurt Mills from the American Conservative. Uh, Kurt, were you caught off guard or surprised by this? I mean, I think we all knew there was some ideological tension within the administration. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, I had a I had a piece uh, that was released uh, last weekend uh, that I think, if I do say so myself, presaged the Bolton exit. Uh, look, personnel are often not long for this White House. Uh, a firing by uh, the president of the United States, who became famous for firing people on television, is not exactly uh, fully from left field. Uh, nonetheless, it's an enormous departure. Uh, this is the president's longest-serving national security advisor. This was a powerful national security advisor. This was a pretty infamous, notorious national security advisor. And uh, he stands poised to make a pretty significant shift on policy, depending on who he appoints as Bolton's heir. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, whether it's conservative talk radio or the pundits on cable news or just people who just want to keep up with it on social media, there's a political soap opera, but then there's the importance of the role. Let's back up and talk about why this particular role, uh, the role that it has, rather, in public uh, policy, foreign policy. Right. So, I mean, this is the chair of Henry Kissinger, of Brent Scowcroft, Condoleezza Rice, right? Uh, This is an office that is is essentially adjacent to the Oval. Uh, This is the this is a role where the president can appoint whoever he wants without Senate confirmation to run a major office on the most sensitive and uh, grave responsibility of the president of the United States, that being national security. Uh, and so who the president appoints matters and who and that person once appointed has pretty wide latitude to uh, enact policies for good or ill. Uh, and so this is a shift. Uh, whoever uh, replaces Bolton will, will come into uh, a power-sharing arrangement with uh, Michael Pompeo, the Secretary of State, and Mark T. Esper, the Secretary of Defense. And potentially, this person could, could uh, presage a real changing of the guard uh, in the administration and a shift on foreign policy uh, heading into President Trump's re-election effort in November or well, next November. Well, that leads nicely into my my uh, the next question was: What if anything does this tell us about the president or about Secretary Pompeo's mindset on some of these international affairs, particularly Middle East or North Korea? Does this tell us anything, or is it as a matter of like you said, is hey, listen, um, these jobs are not permanent by any stretch under any administration, much less President Trump. Look, I think the thing to realize is the president is the president uh, is a personality-based uh, decision maker. It's not necessarily bad, but the, what we know is that uh, the president and Ambassador Bolton were never close. 
you know, they, I, I think he was intrigued by the Bolton pick. I think he liked the idea of having a sort of tough guy, bad cop uh, dynamic, where, which would give him uh, increased negotiating leverage, or so went the theory. Uh, but, I, I, you know, the two were never close. And I think, you know, yesterday uh, tentatively was a major victory for Pompeo, uh, who, who uh, you know, the, t- the two of them were often paired uh, in press reports as the sort of hawkish duo. And make no mistake, the Secretary of State is a, a conservative hawk. Sure. Yeah. But Bol- Bolton and Pompeo butted heads. Uh, Bolton ran a smaller, uh, leaner, uh, more acerbic, acidic, sort of fierce National Security Council. And, you know, Pompeo, look, he's a, he's a Republican, he's a conservative, uh, and he's the head of the State Department, and a lot in the State Department is, you know, broadly speaking, pretty liberal, the career service people. But Pompeo really has made the effort to at least be tolerable to the career officials in a way that uh, Tillerson, Pompeo's predecessor, did not. Uh, and also uh, Bolton, who uh, worked in the State Department uh, a decade and a half ago, and, you know, is seemingly uh, agnostic on the need for traditional diplomacy. Do you have any idea um, or have you uh, talked to anybody from maybe other perspectives around the world and what they could possibly be reading into this, if anything? I mean, if you're uh, if you're, you know, in the Middle East, whether you're friend or foe, yeah. if you're Israel, any of these countries, is yeah. this signaling anything internationally? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, now, things the Trump signals things and then ratchets it completely the opposite direction. So I think everyone's loathe to make predictions. Uh I think for weeks and months now, uh, the uh, elite in Israel has been bracing itself for a potential uh, sit-down between uh, Donald Trump and uh, President Hassan Rouhani of Iran. Uh, that would be enormous, uh, and that would be obviously something that uh, Bolton would not have contuanced. Uh I think also, uh, depending on who he picks, but even if he picks uh, a relatively hawkish successor, this signaled a greater nego- a greater interest and capacity to sit down at the negotiating table uh, with critical, uh, I would say, adversaries, but people that the U.S. needs to patch up with ahead of uh, Trump's re-election effort, whether that be Iran, Russia, North Korea, Venezuela, uh, even China. Uh, I think it signals a more negotiation-oriented mood. Now, the question is, is it too late? Is Trump, uh, you know, I mean, if you're sitting in China right now or sitting in Moscow right now and you cut a deal with this president and uh, it's, uh, it's Joe Biden come, you know, 17 months from now or Elizabeth Warren or whatever, uh, you know, I think the Iran nuclear deal shows you that a lot of times making deals with the president alone, it's only worth the, you know, the paper it's printed on. My guess is that a lot of people who are following this in the news, even people who really pay attention to this kind of detailed politics, sometimes wonder, okay, so there's somebody new in that desk in Washington. What does this mean to me? I mean, so if you're in the Midwest and you're in the Northwest or you're in you know, Texas or whatever, does this really have that much of a, an impact on us individually as Americans? Uh, I do think so. Uh, I think that uh, Bolton... Uh, put the administration on a war footing, okay? And on, on the on the 18th anniversary of September 11th here, I think uh, the, the, the people who bore 
the brunt of the costs on the war on terror. You know, most of these enlisted soldiers are not from Cambridge, Massachusetts, or Manhattan, all due respect to those localities. You know, they're from southern Indiana. They're from western Oklahoma. They're from eastern Washington, as James Madison, uh, James, James Madison is. You know, it's, it's the real heartlands, the real middle of the country. These, these are the people that are supplying the U.S. armed forces. And if you have somebody like Bolton in that position, this is somebody who's frankly open to armed conflict in a number of theaters. And to see Bolton taken out and potentially replaced with a more restraint-oriented successor, I think makes war less likely. And I think war is the, uh, you know, it's the prime, it's, it's, it's the most grievous thing, the most serious thing the state can undertake. All right, uh, Kurt Mills from the American Conservative. Um, I've been looking over the website this morning. A lot of different takes on this, obviously, in uh, other stories around the world as well. People want to get in touch with you, or they just want to follow what you're doing. What's the best way? Just the website, or what's what's the best way to get in touch? You can follow me on Twitter at Kurt Mills, C U R T M I L L S. Uh, you can go to the website, um, and uh, you know I'm pretty accessible. So if you've got a comment or a perspective or a question or information. I'm all ears. All right, Kurt, appreciate the uh, time and the perspective today. Thanks. And just ahead, can a private company violate your constitutional rights? Some conservatives are saying that's what YouTube and Google are doing. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little skeptical, but we're going to talk about that with the folks from Reason Magazine just ahead, right here on American Viewpoints. You know, the windshield just glass broke and, and screeching and I saw you know a body come down from off the top of the the van and I just thought oh my gosh what have I done I just thought, what have I done there's never never a day that I, I wake up that I don't think about it learn more at itcanwait.com a message from AT&T Missouri it only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> they can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. 